Welcome to Eat, Drink, and Do Good, the monthly newsletter and now podcast from Studio Atau. I'm Jenny Dorsey, the studio's executive director. Every month, we bring you fresh op-eds from new and emerging writers from across the U.S., covering a variety of social justice topics that will encourage you to think a little more critically about the world around you. Each podcast episode features the writers themselves reading aloud their work, and we hope you'll learn as much from them as we did. Thank you for listening, and if you're enjoying this podcast, please also consider supporting us via Patreon at patreon.com slash studio that's studio A-T-A-O, or via one-time gift on our website at studiotau.org slash donate. I hope you love the op-ed today. The Fragility of the American Meat Industry In April 2020, America's slaughterhouses transformed into hotbeds of COVID-19 outbreak. In quick succession, 14 plants from Sioux Falls, South Dakota to Perry, Iowa had closed. Exposed workers were calling in sick and others stopped showing up. Without enough workers, the plants couldn't run as many shifts. Slaughterhouses curtailed how many animals they could accept. With more time to put on weight, hogs and cattle became too fat to fit through slaughterhouse machinery, an industry that had shaved the slaughter and processing of livestock down to a fraction of a second came to a halt. At the Smithfield facility in Milan, Missouri, a longtime pork slicer self-identified as Jane Doe pushed the meat industry to high alert with an anonymous lawsuit. At the plant, workers continued to butcher shoulder to shoulder, cutting up to 1,100 hogs an hour, totaling 19,000 hogs per day across three shifts. The conveyor belts moved so fast that workers trimming meat didn't have enough time to cover their mouths to cough. That lawsuit seemed enough to scare billionaire Tyson chairman John Tyson to take out an ad in the Sunday New York Times just three days after the complaint was filed. The food supply chain is breaking, he proclaimed. Tyson stoked fears among both consumers and the government that American grocery stores would soon face lasting shortages. The reality was there was hardly a comprehensive shortage. The most popular cuts of meat were harder in some places to secure, but meat production had been rising for years. What customers inside restaurants and grocery stores were really experiencing was the effects of several confounding factors. Pandemic-related logistics woes, a decrease in the supply of meat from unnaturally high levels, and historic highs of meat leaving the United States as exports. In the past 50 years, the number of U.S. meatpacking plants had been cut in half. Just 835 federally inspected slaughterhouses remain, and those plants had to get bigger to survive. In beef, the top four packers control more than 80% of the entire industry, while the top firms in poultry have more than half, and pork's largest producers dominate 70%. This consolidation has created fragility, easily threatened by a crisis. Not only that, waste abounds. 
according to Mary Hendrickson, Associate Professor of Rural Sociology at the University of Missouri. If all the world's food waste was a country, meat production would be a third-ranked world emitter of greenhouse gases. Taking a conservative estimate, if around 300,000 hogs were killed by their farmers during the pandemic spring of 2020, and those pigs were an average of 275 pounds, that would yield 29,000 tons of pork that went to waste. Those pigs ate millions and millions of bushels of corn and soy. Yet, as the seeming meat supply shortage forced prices up double digits, meat packers were cresting in profits as prices hit fresh highs. At JBS, strong beef and pork sales had 2020 second quarter net profits at twice as high as estimated, $630 million. Profits also came from export markets. Through the pandemic, top meat packers exported more meat than ever before. Tyson shipments abroad rose 43% to more than 640,000 tons, an increase of 19% since 2019. In a world where industrial meat passes the cost down the line, someone along the way pays the price. Ignoring meat is not the answer to the future of sustainable food, and good meat is not just meat that is made in a way that does not directly worsen climate change. It must be good for all the other parts of the system too. The animals, the workers, the producers, food waste, land use, biodiversity, the nutrition and health of the community around production. For Spanish economist Jose Luis Vivero of the World Food Program, the idea of universal food access and food as a human right should be adopted before climate change worsens. He thinks the future is structuring food companies and retailers as public utilities, like how the energy grid, sewers, and water delivery are managed. Like the coexistence of private and public schools or hospitals, a new public food chain could be funded by the state or federal government. It would take food out of the commodity system while still working within the confines of market demand. Harlem-based consultant Kiana Mickey pictures a food system built around the solidarity economy, like a food hub. A food hub is a network of independent farmers, producers, and purveyors that cuts costs and handles the logistics of delivering food to customers. Food hubs, buying groups, and CSAs are decades-old structures. These forms of community-supported agriculture have been utilized since the early 1900s when advocates like Tuskegee University's Dr. Booker T. Waitley began publicizing the benefits of helping farmers plan ahead for their season. In the 1960s and 70s, Whitley encouraged farmers left out of federal aid to adopt shares to save more profits for their farms. The concept continues to lend power to Black and Indigenous-led organizations, including Soul Fire Farm in upstate New York, which offers produce sold as solidarity shares. Organizations that are deeply rooted in communities should be the cornerstone of the future of food. These structures may be the best chance to counter the uneven power dynamics of the modern food system at a time when change is drastically needed. Crumbling infrastructure, coupled with a changing climate, mean a perfect storm is ahead. Networks built on neighbors means more support, and everyone deserves to survive the climate crisis in dignity. 
enjoyed this episode, you can find all prior issues of Eat, Drink, and Do Good on Studio Tao's website at studiotao.org newsletter. I'm Emily Chen, the head of content at the studio. Every month, we'll be releasing a new newsletter and podcast with social justice analyses from new and emerging writers. Make sure to sign up for our mailing list and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to be the first to know on all new episodes. All of our contributors are paid for their time and work, so if you're able, please consider supporting us as a monthly donor via Patreon or via a one-time gift at studiotao.org donate. Thank you for listening.